Hello and welcome to the Every Nation Twane Moikluf podcast. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message with us. Good morning, family. It is very exciting for me to be here this morning. Um, man, because this week's preparation of this message is just totally affect my life on, on almost every every level. So, um, as you all know, and Quentin mentioned it at the start of the service, we are in a series about stewardship. The series name is Stewardship, and, and stewardship is a term that suggests a very important concept. It forms the basis of, of our relationship with all things, including our possessions, everything uh, that we have preached the past three weeks about stewardship, um, it is, it is all based on this one concept that you need to understand. If you don't understand this, you're going to struggle with stewardship for the rest of your life. And that concept is that nothing is ours. Nothing is ours. In week one, uh, Philip preached on generational stewardship, that God is a God of generations. He doesn't just think of you in your current generation where you are. He thinks of the generations to come that have passed. He's a God of generation, and he calls us to steward the generations that come after us well. In other words, he entrusts us with children that we influence, that we teach. In week two, um, Philip preached on financial stewardship, and he laid a foundation for financial stewardship, and, and it was from Genesis 1, 28, that said that um, God has given all the plants of the earth and everything for mankind to govern over, to be fruitful, to work, to multiply. So God has given, He calls us into a loving relationship with Him, and He calls us then to steward everything that belongs to Him. And there was a, there was a crucial uh, thing that, that Philip preached that week that really impacted me. And it, and it was from Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, and, it's, and it basically came down to this, that God withholds provision when He has no steward. He withholds provision when he has no steward. And that made me think, like, I, I have a lot of things that are God's, but am I stewarding it for God or not? Because that's influencing God's provision. And so, stewardship as the act of managing property and possessions on behalf of the owner. God owns everything. We steward it. We either do it faithfully or not. And that was what week three was about unfaithful stewardship. How Adam and Eve were entrusted as God's stewards in the garden, and God said, everything is yours except this tree. Don't, don't touch. This is mine. But we had a choice. And we could choose him or not. And Adam and Eve were unfaithful stewards. They chose to go beyond what God gave them. They took what God gave them, and they managed it in a bad way. Now, we praise God that um, he was already thinking restoration in that, in Abraham, in, in Noah, and the chapters that follow, he was already thinking about restoring this God-given mandate for us to steward well what he has given us. And, um, and we also see just the fact of that, that God created for us to steward and to manage, is that work is worship. Our work unto God is worship. It's that we're taking things, we're molding things, we're doing things, and, and we're doing it for God. 
as an act of worship unto him. And so this morning is the opposite of last week. It is about faithful stewardship. And we're going to talk about some principles. We're going to talk about the heart behind these principles that should really encourage and enable us to steward God's positions well and generously. And so with that being said, let me, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much. Right here, right now, you come to speak to us about principles that will help us to truly, truly, truly steward faithfully the way that you have called us with the things that you have entrusted us. It's all yours, Lord, to come and change our hearts, humble us, make us receptive and open, Father, that we may hear what you desire for us to know. We may be faithful stewards that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 15. You're welcome to grab your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 15. And here's what's going on in this scripture. Paul is on a money-raising mission. A famine had struck in Jerusalem. And so the believers in Jerusalem, uh, they were really, really going through a rough time. Many of them were starving to death. So Paul heard about this famine, and he's going throughout Asia Minor and the known world, raising funds for them. He he asked, in the previous chapter, he writes about, and we're going to look at that scripture as well, he writes about how the Macedonian churches, of which the church of Philippi was one of them, how they gave. And now he's appealing, which was, the church of Philippi was very poor, now he's appealing to a very rich church, the church in Corinth, to also become part of the famine relief. So in short, Paul is asking rich Gentiles to provide famine relief for poor Jews. And in the scripture, he speaks about principles in giving generously and stewarding that transcends just this scenario. So let's read the scripture. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you. And pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Good. We're going to get through this whole scripture. Let's do it. 
Principle number one. Our reaping is determined by our sowing. It's the first principle we're learning here. Verse 6 says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now you might say, ah, this is a great business proposal. You're saying that God's law of nature is this, that if I give generously, God gives me a financial harvest more than I can imagine? Question, if that was the case, can preachers use this scripture to manipulate people into giving to them, promising great returns? Because if, if my interpretation of the scripture is correct, then that is a question we need to answer. Can we manipulate God into giving to us because we have sowed bountifully. Now we reap bountifully, right, God? Friends, I want to give you an emphatic no. That's not what Paul is saying. Scripture cannot be used to manipulate. In fact, that would not free people from greed. That will feed their greed because it promises them more. You're not giving to God. You're giving to God. You're actually giving to yourself. No. That's not what the Scripture is saying. So what is the Scripture saying? Well, I did a little bit of research on agriculture. Um, and I looked at the things that we, that we my, my father is a, farm, a farmer, but he doesn't farm with, with uh, he doesn't farm with millis, corn and, and wheat. But I took a look at this, okay? and, and when you are sowing seed, when the wheat comes up, you don't just harvest more seed to sow. That's not all you harvest. You harvest a lot of parts of the plant. There's, there's a lot of the, the plant that you use for different things, different reasons that you crush and you make into bread and you do a lot. And only a portion of your harvest is actual seed. So you don't primarily harvest the same thing you have sowed. So in this analogy, sowing financially, your main harvesting is not going to be financial. But then what is it going to be? That's from verse 10 of the scripture. Verse 10 says, He who supplies, it's God, once again reminding us, nothing is ours. God supplies seed to the sower, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Okay, so he supplies seed, financial, you sow the seed, financial, he multiplies the seed, financial, you sow more seed, financial, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Wait, what? Harvest righteousness. Righteousness means what is right or just. To be, to be in the right. It also means to be in right standing with someone. When there's righteousness between myself and someone, it means that we are in right standing. There's no issues between us. There's no, we're in right standing with one another. So what does it mean that this is our harvest? Well, firstly, from 2 Corinthians 5, we learn that we have been made righteous through Christ. Christ has taken us, our sins, upon himself, so that we might be in right standing with God. We are in the right through Jesus Christ. Now, this scripture is saying, people who are righteous, Christians, who have been made right with God, 
Here's what they do. They sow. That's, that's just who they are. That's, that's the only right thing you can do when you realize the magnitude of the generosity of God in Jesus Christ to you. That He has sown His Son that He might reap you and relationship with you. The only right thing, the righteous thing you can do is to be generous. That's, that's what Christians do. And so Paul is saying, on the one hand, that the only right thing a Christian can do with abundant finances is be generous. And in other words, as you sow, your harvest of fruit is a result of your righteousness. It's one way to look at the scripture. There's another way that it can also be, and I believe both are correct. I believe Paul had both in mind when he was writing this. And this is it. When you are generous, what is the effect of that generosity? For example, let's say you're having conflict with someone. You're sitting down, you have conflict. And in your conflict, you are generous with your humility and your repentance. You are generous with your extending forgiveness. You are generous with your kindness and with your grace. What is the effect of that generosity on your relationship with that person? Righteousness. Your relationship becomes in right standing with each other. There's restoration. It's strengthened. There's reconciliation. Now, what on, on the other hand, what is the result of greed? You sit in that same relation in that same conflict situation. You're greedy with your forgiveness. You're prideful. You're greedy with your repentance. You're too insecure to say sorry. You're you're greedy. What's what's the effect of greed on that relationship? Friends, I can with all honesty say I don't I don't know a single person who struggles with greed who does not have at least one broken relationship in their lives. Because relationship works two ways. It's two people. And when that relationship is constantly only about one person, it cannot stand. It cannot continue to exist. Now, over history, wherever Christians were being true Christians and generous, we see poverty was healed. Conflicts were reconciled. Families were put back together. In preparing for the sermon, I looked a little bit at, um, at Guatemala as a country. And Guatemala as a country, about 40 years ago, they were, uh, they were about, I think, 20%, 20 uh, Protestant Christian. But, but they were mostly Catholic. And in about 30 years, they went up to 42%. Protestant as a country. They grew with like 20% of their total population becoming Protestant Christians. Why? Here's why. Because as Protestant Christianity came into Guatemala and people realized the richness of their spirituality because of the generosity of Christ, they started extending generosity. They stopped living individualistically 
and started living more communally and extended their generosity. And as there was generosity, families and lives and poverty was healed generously. And it started spreading all over Guatemala, all over history. The gospel spread at a rapid speed among the poor because of the radical empowerment that it brings for poor people and the radical generosity it brings. When Christians are true Christians, when you sow your finances generously, you reap a harvest of righteousness. And you know what's the interesting thing? You might say, but what if I am generous and someone abuses it? What if it's abused? Well, then even then, God will use that abuse to search your heart and the motives of your heart to ask you, why did you give in the first place? What was the motivation for you giving in the first place? Did you give to receive? That's why you're bothered by someone abusing your generosity. Righteousness. Righteousness. Right standing with God. God using even the abuse of someone else, but your generosity to continue putting you in right standing. My conclusion to this point is, those who are made righteous through Christ, what they do is they sow bountifully. They're generous. And God gives to them more that they may sow more. But the harvest they reap is far more valuable than just mere finances. It is a right relationship. It's right relationships among people, righteousness. And between people and God, righteousness. That is salvation. This church plot, every nation might live, is a great example of that. When we planted this church, our city impact budget is what we call it. Our budget to plant this church was about 400,000 rand. Now that's a lot of money. Where did that come from? Generous Christians. Came from our other every nation churches. Christians who were generous, who were faithful stewards and gave. The reason why we could baptize 12 people two weeks ago, generous Christians. The reason why we can rent this venue and you can sit here and you can experience the presence of God and continue to grow in your righteousness, your right standing with God and with people, generous Christians. All of us here, we are the righteous fruit of those who have sowed bountifully. Let's go on to principle number two. It's our giving should happen willingly and cheerfully. <laughs> Verse 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each one must give as he has decided. Question. Seeing that as a Christian, we must be generous. This scripture is fine with us giving 1%, right? Because that, that's what I've decided in my heart. I'll give 1%. Man, I must say, that um, sounds a lot like reluctance and compulsion to me. You reluctantly give the minimum because you are under compulsion. You must. But if you didn't have to, you wouldn't. Now this scripture 
is helping us to navigate a very tricky and difficult to identify sin. And it's a sin I've already mentioned. Greed. Now greed is a sin. The Bible is clear. But how do, you, how do you define it? How do you know that you are in greed? I must say like in eight and a half years of ministry, no one has ever come to me and said, Christian, I struggle with greed. No one has ever done that. I mean, people come and they say, you know, I struggle with sexual sin or with adultery. I mean, because there's a behavioral referent. There's a line. You know when you step over the line. No one wakes up the one morning and they look next to them like, you're not my wife. No. You know you slept with another woman. It's not a, it's not a, there's a, there's a line. You cross that line, you're in sin. For greed, there's no line. There's no behavioral referent we can give to tell you, when you do this, you're in greed. When you don't do it, you're not in greed. There is none. Do you know what that means? That means that greed is totally and entirely a matter of the heart. It's completely a matter of the heart. Your motivations, your attitude, your emotions towards money is crucial. To God. Because that is what determines whether you are generous or greedy. You want to know something interesting? The Bible warns 10 to 20 times more about greed than it does about lust. Now, what would that mean? Why, why would the Bible do that? What does that mean? It means that greed is a bigger danger. It's a bigger danger. It's more tricky, more difficult to identify. And it's possibly also more damaging. Now you might say, okay, but Christian, what about the tithe? What about 10%? The Bible gives us a reference. It says 10%. If I give 10%, I'm generous. If I don't, I'm greedy. Ah. If you look at Luke chapter 11, you see Jesus having a very interesting conversation with the Pharisees. He says to the Pharisees, you tithe. Pharisees, you tithe. You give 10% of your finances and 10% of your vegetables and your fruit and your meat. And, and I mean, they tithe with everything. And he said, but you lack one thing. You don't love justice. And you don't love God. You tithe to gain favor from men and from God. I condemn you. Pharisees were condemned for tithing. With the wrong motivations. He says to them, you ought to tithe. That's, that's the minimum of what you ought to do. Yeah, the Bible, the Old Testament and Jesus there, he endorses tithing. But he says, you ought to do the, the former tithing without neglecting the justice and the love of God. He says, because you do that, you neglect that, I condemn you. No, friends. Tithing is not the behavioral referent whether you are stuck in greed or whether you are generous. Now, how does this scripture help us to identify and deal with greed? Well, firstly, I guess it asks, do you give? Okay, do you, do you give? Are you generous? Like, do you give away something without expecting back in return? That's step number one, okay. Well, then the scripture goes on and says, when you give, do you do it willingly and cheerfully? 
Are you excited about it? Or even more so, when you think about your finances and you look at your budget, do you actively make plans to move things in your life around so that you may give away more than you currently are? Now that's a very high standard. So I want us to go one chapter earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. This is a great example of people who are really generous, the way that the Bible encourages us to be. And so this is the Philippian church, the Macedonian church, and how they gave to, to Paul's uh, uh, finance raising mission. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you, the Corinthian church, to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. My goodness. Beyond their ability. Does that mean that, that now they're, they're starving, and now we've got to go on a new money-raising mission? Paul's got to do it again to raise money for the Macedonian church, because they gave too much, now they're starving, now they can't. No, that's not what it means. Here's what it means. Exactly the question I asked you. It means that the churches in Macedonia took the money that they could, they gave it away, and then they looked at their standard of living, they lowered it some more. They said, you know what? If I stop drinking coffee on a Wednesday, eating pizza on a Thursday, meeting friends for a beer on Saturday, that money that that cost me, I can give that away also. They lowered, simple examples, but they lowered the standard of their living, rationed their daily needs in order that they may give the maximum amount they possibly could. Look at what the scripture says. They didn't just, they didn't just do that under compulsion. The scripture says their overflowing joy that sounds like cheerfully for me. They pleaded for the privilege. That sounds like willingness to give to me. And it exceeded our expectations, Paul says. But here's the important thing. There's a reason why they were able to do this. Here's why. Because they gave themselves to God. And therefore they gave themselves to believers' needs. They recognized, as we spoke about previous weeks, they recognized that generosity is more than just an action. It is an act of worship. It is an act of taking myself, giving myself to God, and therefore giving myself to others, because God has given himself to me. 
Generosity is an act of worship. I want to conclude this point by saying, if you struggle to give willingly and cheerfully, you struggle to prioritize, lowering your living standard in order to give as much as you possibly could to God's purposes, and that's a good invitation for you to do some introspection and ask God whether you are greedy or not. A faithful steward of God's possessions gives willingly and cheerfully. Go to principle number three. Our riches neither come from us nor is purposed for us. Principle number three. Verse eight of 2 Corinthians 9 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 11 says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Question, how will we be enriched? Because the scripture is clear that nothing is ours. So how do we, how did, how did you make money? How did you make money? You used your brain? You studied? You used your skills? Your hands? Your brain is not from you. Your hands is not from you. Your skills are the result of the grace of God. Even the money you hold is made up of materials that God created for himself, for the purpose of himself. Nothing of what we have comes from us. The laptop you used, every single material in that laptop was created by God to be used by man to create something out of it that will glorify God. Nothing you have. You look at the scripture, the scripture says, God abounds to you, giving you sufficiency that you may abound. So no one can abound in good work without God's grace. Enriched to be generous. We don't deserve anything. Everything we have. We have to understand this family. It's all a grace gift from God that we get to freely use as we choose. But God asks us to choose Him. Nothing we have. Nothing we get to enjoy in this life is a result of our doing. It is all a result of God's grace. It is made by Him. It is made for Him. And I'll, and I'll give you a, an example of this, okay? This means that let's say someone has a million rand. And they come up to you and they say, Look, Emmanuel, I've got a million rand. And I have withdrawn it from my investment. I've given up your account number. It's going to be paid into your account. I want to give you a million rand. But here's the thing, okay, Emmanuel. As I did this, I forgot that I made a pledge to give to a friend who was also in deep need a hundred thousand of this million. Will you please do me a favor, Emmanuel? When the million comes, will you please be willing just to pay over a hundred thousand? Just ten percent. No, no, just ten percent. Over to you, my friend. What do you, what would you say? If you're stuck in greed, you would say, no way, God. That's too much. No way, man. That's, that's too much. Do you know what I could do with a hundred thousand grand you're expecting of me? 
to give away? Now, what's the fallacy? The fallacy is um, you would have zero if it wasn't for the generosity of this man. Generosity would say, absolutely. You mean I get to steward 900,000 that I would not have if it wasn't for your grace? Oh, you can have 100. You know what? Is that all? Can I not give you more? Can I give you 200, 300, 400? Because you recognize that if it wasn't for the generosity of this person, you would have nothing. Nothing comes from us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. You know what's the result of that kind of generosity? It's all over the scripture. We read it. Verse 11 says, Thanksgiving to God. It's not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it produces thanksgiving to God. Verse 12 says, It overflows in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13 says, They glorify God because of your submission. We're back to the previous principle. If you understand principle number three, your riches don't come from you, and they are not purposed for you. You realize that nothing I have is mine, and all of it is subjected to the will of God to use as He pleases. And as I do that, the result is that harvest of righteousness. There's major thanksgiving to God. There's, there's major glorification to God. God's generosity to us, in actual fact, is a litmus test for our relationship with Him. Because do we really understand that we can lay claim to nothing that we have? Do we love Him above anything that we own? Are we willing to give it all back to Him? Because your answer to that question is going to determine be determined by the final principle. Now before I get there, I must say, I, I need to have a little bit of a repentance moment with the family this morning. As I was preparing this sermon, this, I realized this, this standard is very high. This is a very high standard. I mean, to, to lower my standard of living so that I may give the maximum amount to do it willingly and cheerfully, that's, I've been, I've been falling short. I, it's been a very long time since I've, since I've been this aware while preparing a sermon of how short I fall as a preacher to the things that I must preach. And, and I've been, I've been, I've been greedy. And my wife and I, we've been, we've been going through some financial ups and downs. We, um, we've been facing some need. We, we have a, we have a, a property we're busy paying off, and this month we didn't have a tenant. It was empty, so we had all those expenses that we had to carry ourselves, and, and it was tough. It's, it was really tough. And, and the, the first reaction that you have is you say, um, okay, let's minimize our expenses. Let's, we're not, we're not going to pay anything anymore. Like let's, let's lower our standard of living, but also let's stop giving away. Let's, let's grab a hold of as much as we can then we'll make it through. And that demonstrates that we didn't trust God. We, that's not trusting God. That was trusting ourselves. And so, yes, there's wisdom in lowering your standard of living in order to cover your costs. 
but there's no wisdom in lowering your generosity. So for every person in this church whom I had a coffee with in the past couple of weeks, and I was all too glad that you paid for the coffee, I'm sorry. Thank you, but I'm really sorry because that came out of a place of greed. For everyone who paid for my breakfast, (laughs) I'm sorry for not trusting God. And I repent, I turn away from that. Let's go on. Final principle. Our giving is determined by our understanding of God's giving. See in verse 15, Paul said, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What is that? What is the what is the greatest treasure that mankind has ever known that exists in all of creation? It's Jesus Christ. It's His Son. It's the Creator of all things who made Himself subject to the things and the people He created as a gift to us to save us. He was the faithful steward on earth that we can never be. He was faithful with everything. And then as if he was the most greedy and unfaithful steward, he was punished in our place. That if we would receive him, then he would be the faithful steward in us, with us, and through us. Charles Spurgeon has a great example of this. He says, what if you knew you were dying? And there was a pill that could, a medicine that could heal you and preserve your life. But the doctor tells you, man, this pill is very expensive. Like, like very expensive. Like you're, you, you're, you might lose your car. You might have to lose your house, but it will save your life. What, what would you say? You say, what good is my house if I'm not here to live in it? What good is my car? What, what, good, is, what good is my, my six-month-old daughter and my wife and if I'm not here to enjoy it with them? I don't care what it costs. All of it seems cheap in comparison to the pull that preserves my life. Friends, Jesus Christ is the pull. Jesus Christ is the giver of eternal life. Jesus Christ is the faithful steward all of us need, all of us are looking for. Are we able this morning to say, Jesus, everything else is cheap in comparison to you. Everything else looks extremely cheap. Because the only way you will ever be a faithful steward, a person whose life, whose possessions, whose time, whose focus, whose energies, whose relationships, 
is faithful to produce right standing between people and God and see people eternally saved, eternally impacted. The only way you can make your life count by being a faithful steward is if Jesus comes and He does it through you. It's not within us. The standard is very, very high. And only Jesus could meet it. But if we would be willing today to surrender our lives, our finances and our possessions to Jesus Christ, He will be faithful to come and be the faithful steward in us that we could never be. So today when you look at your finances, when you look at your possessions, are you willing to say, Jesus, it's all cheap in comparison to you. You can have everything of it. I will do with it whatever you want me to. When today you look at your finances, are you willing to say, Jesus, how can I lower my quality of living and the amount of money I'm spending on myself in order that I may give the maximum amount because I love you. And so this morning I believe that there's, um, there's a response that God is calling us to. Well, firstly, I want to ask if you have never, ever, ever Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one who took the punishment in your place, one who gives you eternal life. I want to invite you to stand. Secondly, if you're sitting here this morning and you realize by the descriptions that I've given that just like me, you have tried to hoard up as much as you could for yourself. Now, even though it was a small thing, even though you tried to keep as much as you could, you were trusting yourself. It's been financially tough. And you said, let's close all of the taps. No more leaking money here into ourselves, but also no more leaking money there to other people. You realize that you have been greedy. You have not given willingly and cheerfully. And this morning you want to say sorry to God. You want to repent, you want to turn away, and you want to say, Jesus, come and be the faithful steward that I need you to be. That is you. Please stand so we can pray with you. Awesome. Man, that's incredible. So many people. And finally, if this morning um, you want to invite Jesus to be the steward of your finances, you want to make a commitment, you're going to go home, you're going to redo your budget. You're going to do this. You're going to to minimize your spending, your life, in wisdom, in honor to God, so that you may give maximum. You stand so we can pray with you. Oh, man. Praise God. All right. Let's open our hands and let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the most incredible thing you are doing here this morning. Thank you so much for every person, every heart 
that in humility is turning to you and saying, Lord, I have been greedy. I have not trusted you with my finances. I have not trusted you with my possessions, my time. I have not honored you with these things. But you were faithful towards me, Jesus. The greatest treasure in heaven today is mine and everything else in comparison is cheap. Lord, my possessions, our possessions, our time, our money, all of it is yours, Lord. Use it as you please. Father, we commit to as a congregation being moved by your good news that you emptied yourself for us. We desire to empty ourselves for you, Father. We will rebudget. We will relook. We will come and generously give the maximum amount that you have placed on our hearts that multitudes might be saved and that many might become in right standing with you, Father. May we be generous with our forgiveness, our repentance, our humility, our kindness, our grace. Come and be the faithful steward through us, Jesus, that we could never be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And that concludes today's message. For more information, visit our website at everynationtwane.org forward slash moikluf. That's everynationtwane.org forward slash moikluf. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Till next time then. Hey!